and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Richard Davis, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Elkin Beltrick and Ethan Huffman. And today, we are shifting our focus to the NBA draft. And guys, how are how excited are you now that we can focus on the offseason, focus on the draft? I've been ready for this for a while. Well, as the pickless Miami Heat fan, I'm not <laughs> as thrilled about the selections to be made as I am about the players that will be entering the league. I always like I think the main reason I always want to get 2K every year is for the rookies. Because I always wow. love to do a fantasy draft where all I do is take rookies and like second year players. Like that's that's my favorite thing to do. So even without the Heat having um, a pick in the draft, I can do a fantasy draft once the new 2K comes out and get all of them on my team. Ah, uh, yes. They they get all 2K, just gather all the young pieces and then trade them off because they are, you know, valuable and all that. If you need to. If you need or you to. just play with them because you're a fiend. And That's you just do 20,000 fantasy drafts over the course of your 2K life. That's true. You know, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. I appreciate the hustle, Ethan. Man. Well, Ed, you know, Elkin, you're actually the only person who has a first-round pick in this draft, so that's at least, you know, interesting interesting for, for you and, and, and your team. Um, but we're not here to go through and talk all about that. We want to focus today on the the top bigs in the NBA draft coming out this year. And so uh, where do you guys want to start here? I think we got to start with what a lot of people are considering is the uh, the lock of the draft with DeAndre Ayton going number one. I think I think so far he's been the consensus number one pick, not necessarily because of his potential and upside, but just because of the fit that it makes sense and the fact that he's pretty convinced. He came out this week and said, "I'm like he's not doing any more workouts. I'm going number one." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, basically for a while it was that was like DeAndre, eight, you know, Luka Doncic, and the you know the the reason why the Luka Doncic, you know started turning up other than that he's a good player is that his former coach is, is actually now the, the Phoenix Suns head coach. But, yep. you know, the, the, the fit of, of getting a big man there, um, especially one of DeAndre Ayton's uh, skill level and talent, it's got to be tempting for them. And, yeah, so we, we think he's going there. What is there – what is there – why why is he the con- almost consensus number one pick? Why, why do we think he's the – the direction that Phoenix is going to go. I was just, I was just looking at. I've actually had a chance to watch him a lot. I stayed up a few nights watching Pac-10 basketball. Got to watch him the Pac-10 tournament, and yeah, he had a rough showing against Buffalo in the NCAA tournament. But one of the things that I see him as, just possibly the unanimous number one pick, is the tools that he brings, especially on the offensive end, and. The first thing I notice is he's a guy where a lot of big guys, one of the first thing I look at is durability. We know that the bigger you are, the less durable your body is because he has to take more weight and pressure. And he's been a very, very durable guy. And then I'm sure you guys have been able to watch some of his highlights. One of the reasons I think a lot of people like him being that number one pick is how mature his game is as far as inside-outside game. I would say out of the other bigs, he has the most polished post game. And currently I've seen him as having the best outside touch particular bigs. Yeah, there's some other bigs who are better defensively than him, but overall, offensively, he seems more ready to contribute to any team that he plays for. He's got, he just looks so fluid in everything he does Mm -hmm. on the offensive end of the court. And with that in mind, like the guy was playing, like we're going to say this a lot with all these center prospects and uh, bigs in general, is that he wasn't the best fit for him in the college game. He was playing alongside another center, not getting to like have the space available where he could maybe could have been even more dominant in the yeah. inside because there wouldn't have been another big just bringing an extra body um, to, to his side. Um, his three-point percentage in college was 34%, shooting one a game. Um, I don't know how indicative that is of, like, what he'll shoot in the NBA, but he shot 73 from the line, which is, is what a lot of people look towards and how good your touch is. But well, I think everything was fluid, and you got to like that coming from a guy who uh, who's that big. Yeah, it, that's. I mean, obviously, small sample size of the three point percentage, but his shot, his shot looks, you know, it doesn't look terrible. It doesn't look bad, right? We don't, we don't have a Josh Jackson issue where it's like, hey, he made about this percent, but man, he it looks, it looks rough, right? Yeah. And so that's that's something where 
like if, if you're a big in the modern MBA, you need to be able to do, I need to be a phenomenal rim protector or you have to be able to, to spread the full floor and ideally both. And that's one of the things where you look at DeAndre Ayton and obviously on the defensive end, it, it wasn't quite as strong as some people have, have, have hoped it, w- it would have been, but you can see the tools there. You can see his, his, you know, athletic ability, you know, just flashing out all the time. And, you know, maybe it's just a matter of he needs to get in the right situation with some good coaching and perhaps those things can develop. And if he can, you know, it, with how dominant he is down, you know, you know, on the offensive end, if he can also build up his outside shot and be, you know, a rim protector, then man, he's, he's what you want. Yeah. Walking two points anytime he gets in the, in the paint, like that's, that's still a valuable thing to have. We talked, we looked at what like James Harden was able to do in isolation and he settled for a lot of twos, whether they were getting to the, like still getting uh, into the, into the paint or if they were step backs that didn't quite get all the way back to the three, but points are always valuable. And if you can have an efficiency at anything on the court, it's, it's being able to just put the ball through the hoop. Yeah. And, and the biggest problem though, with, with like, you know, we're hearing all, you know, Posting up, we don't want to, see, you know, want to have quite as much as that. You know, some of these bigs aren't, you know, built for the modern NBA. But some of these bigs who are efficient at the low post don't have the ability to spread the floor and actually have some gravity. And that's where his, you know, at least his shooting ability, you know, even if he doesn't become, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, shooting from the outside, if if he can at least draw people out, then you have the spacing that some of these other guys. Uh, not, not speaking necessarily about these prospects, but some of these other good low post players don't have. And I think that's where uh, you can see all these bits and pieces. If they come together just right for DeAndre Ayton, like, of course, he should be the number one pick because, mm-hmm. you know, you can just see it. Who does he, he makes his free throws. So he, yeah. attacks, Who, he gets to make two free throws. What does he yeah. remind you guys of? Like, what NBA player do you look at DeAndre and you're like, oh, I see his game in Ayton? Uh, I mean, I – I don't know if it's because he kind of like, like I I watch some of his moves he puts on and the fluidity there is like mm-hmm. he, he reminiscent of you know right handed like it's David Robertson out there like it, it, there's 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 bits and pieces of something that high. What's scary is like when you can't like I've heard different people talk about when you can't find the floor for a guy that's where you you can kind of get scared it's like oh he's David Robinson always oh, Carlton Towns well both those guys are like David Robinson yeah. all of his Hall of Famer Carlton Towns all star guy. Um, but like, what's what's his downside? And some people said like uh, Patrick Ewing is something that they compare him to. But that's still a really really good Hall player. of Famer, another Hall I, of Famer. I, I kind of want to find someone who's not so good. And the thing I was thinking about was what like what about just a mobile Jermaine O'Neal? Like Jermaine O'Neal didn't really have the the polished outside game, but he had a great post game. Was a good defender. Like probably too good of a tuner for this comparison. But that's the kind of guy who had a nice long yeah. NBA career, but wasn't ever, at his peak. Right, but wasn't ever quite enough to just mm-hmm. be a. Uh, a, 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 a guy who just carried you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, now, now this is probably not a good co- you know, comparison, but I just think of someone else who was very skilled down low. Uh, obviously, the defensive end was no one there, but Jaleel Okafor, you know, went, went really high. He was, like, he was the guy who you have a really good uh, post, you know, ability, doesn't have the ability to spread the floor. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton, we think, has – much more of that upside, but obviously his defense was very lacking. Where uh, DeAndre Ayton, his he's just he's more athletic, and you could you could see some of those things translating more. So I don't I don't even think that's really a great comp. But yeah. and Julio didn't have touch; like he was not a great man. Like he, he didn't take any jump shots. It was all just I'm gonna get you to jump at one yeah. point or another, and I'm gonna lay it in. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> actually, when you started talking, Richard, I don't know if it's just because the Pistons. I, I expect. Sure. I was thinking, well, you know what? You know, someone who had a lot of like finesse game, but also was just huge. Rasheed Wallace is a guy, and mm-hmm. he, you know, he was kind of one of those guys who, when he was engaged, he was an all-class, all-world, amazing defender. But a lot of times, Rasheed Wallace was not always engaged. This is not necessarily Pistons Rasheed, but other locations Sheed. And that might be like the actual like, hey, this is this is what if he doesn't exceed all of his potential, this is what he could become: a super talented, ultra. Um, skilled big man that it just depends on how engaged you can get him. If you get him next to Ben Wallace and with Tayshaun Prince, Chauncey Billups, he's an NBA champion. If you get him in Portland with, you know, that team, well, he's just really good, but you know, they're not winning a whole lot of, you know, important games. And I think for, I think what we're looking at essentially is 
you want a player going number one whose floor is pretty much all-star level. All those guys, except for Julio Okafor, which even Richard said was back in person, are all-stars. They've been all-stars at one point in their career. And I think Richard and both Ethan, both of you guys just touched upon it. You're looking at a prospect who it's not just a guy who's a post player. You want a guy who has some type of level of flexibility in his game. You don't want a guy who just has one move. In the NBA, everyone's about how well can you defend a player's one move. And the best players are the ones who have counters. And that's where I see with Aiden. Actually watching him in college, you can see some of the games. I know the college rules for me make it a little bit easier to defend a guy in the post where the way that the rules are set up. But when he had that chance and just one-on-one could read the defense, he punishes God almost every time. And if you look back at his at the box scores, he has some ridiculous box scores. If you look back at some of his games and then watching it, at first I was like, oh, he's going against bad competition. But some of these games, he was against legit competition, and he punished him. And you can tell, too, that one thing that a lot of college guys struggle with is getting the body ready for the NBA. He has at least body mass on him that's not making him a slower guy in the paint. That's one thing I did like about him. He's already ready for the NBA grind without yeah. being like fat or like just too heavy, you know. Like he, mm-hmm. he's he, he's just the right type of slender and mm-hmm. built, you know. Like he's he's got it all together in terms of physicals, and I think really it comes down to how how good of defensive can he be? You know, I, I threw out Jermaine O'Neal in terms of post moves that he had when he played for the Pacers, and I said Rasheed Wallace. But the thing about those two guys, those guys were very good defenders in their time. I mean, Jermaine O'Neal was like, you know, through a stretch, you could have argued he was the best defensive, like, center power forward in the league. He was doing the same kind of stuff that Ben Wallace did, just slightly less, you know, like in terms of Ben Wallace would jump out of the gym to get these blocks. Um, Jermaine O'Neal had the size and positioning. But DeAndre Ayton, if he can have a defensive presence, I I think that Sheed Wallace comp might actually be really valuable because he he looks like he has a shooting touch. Yeah, yeah. The the issue with him is, like – is he going to be able to bring on the defensive end? And if he does, even if his offensive game doesn't like mature even further, like if he can bring it defensively, like he's going to be an all-star. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so that that's, that's the, you know, barring injury, what you can say about all these guys, but like, that's, that's what you're looking for in a top pick. I don't see him uh, falling further than two. Like the only way it happens is if uh, Phoenix says, you know, we're going to go Doncic, and then the Kings are like, ooh, awesome. Okay, we'll go Aiton. And so for, for me, I don't see him falling below those two spots, which lets you know that, you know, this is this is exactly where – this is the realm of, of area we should be talking about him in. I hope he goes to the Kings. Just, be, oh, just be, like not because not not because I don't I think he'll be successful, but I, I just I like the idea of giving Darren Fox that guy to you know do some stuff with, um, and I like the idea of Don just playing in in with the Suns, but you know that, that's just me. That's just me. Oh man, yeah, I I, I think I think him him and Phoenix will be good. I think he messes nice. he messes up my Kevin Lovett trade idea though, so I need does, actually, does he though? Actually, I mean. I think that uh, DeAndre Ayton next to Kevin Love would be awesome because you also have now no need for uh, Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender, well, right? That's what I'm saying. If, if Ayton gets passed by the Suns, that messes up. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. We no. need – Yeah. I, I changed my mind. I want him in Phoenix because I want the Kevin Love trick. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that would be that would be awesome. All right. Uh, next so, next up. We got Marvin Bagley, the guy out of Duke. 6'11", big-time athleticism. Um, first week of the college basketball season, everyone was just eyeballs glued to this guy. He was making highlight plays. He dunks over everyone, grabs rebounds. Um, defense, another problem, perhaps. Um, Three-point shooting while shooting a high clip. We've seen this before out of Duke guys. Justice Winslow shot 40% from three in his one season at Duke. Um. Guys, Marvin Bagley, what what do you all think about him? Hmm. I'll say this. Uh, another guy, got to watch him closely, several games. First of all, everyone knows that when he gets the ball, he's going left. I'm going to say that right now. That's true. Everyone knows he's one of those guys which could come back to buy him the NBA. But the problem is, I mean, he's one of those guys you see the length, and he has some type of touch around the rim and some type of handle on the ball. Yes, he doesn't have the best – jump shot like watching those games regardless of what what a lot of the stats say like his jump shot really isn't the best but 
I see a guy who has the potential to use his length, but he has to develop some type of other aspect to his game. Because, I mean, it was either a left-hand hook or I'm going to spin to the left and try to get by on the baseline. And the problem is, if, if I already know your two moves, imagine an advanced NBA scout or imagine a great NBA defender who's watched all this film on you, how are they going to react to you? Or both. Or both, because that's going to happen. I think the only guy that's in the NBA that I know has one move and still somehow manages to get to it is DeMonta Sabonis. The guy gets yep. that, <laughs> that left hand every time. But hey, it works, though. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what he's doing to convince people that he's going to not <laughs> do that. But um, I, I do think that could be a problem for Bagley. I, this is the guy I look at. I'm like, I'm not sure where his floor and ceiling is because of his high athleticism. Um and but also his if he can't shoot and you know he doesn't develop some other moves like where does where does athleticism get you? True, Marvin Bagley. Honestly, and this may be an unpopular opinion. I'm I'm not sure. Like he's the guy who I'm least thrilled with out of all these bigs. Hmm. I just he for me, I if if. All you go to, if all you have is one hand, and you, I mean, obviously, it could be something you can develop, but like if you're so entrenched in that, and like, like we've been saying, and, and the defenders are going to know what you're going to do, they're much better in the NBA, like that's a problem. And if you don't, if you don't have it, you know, if you don't have the defensive awareness, and if, if you're not bringing on the defensive end as well, and your jump shot is like, you begin to, like, I could see a situation for him where he gets drafted high because he's a high prospect here. And, I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, which, which team do you think would, like I – don't, I don't know which team he might, he might go to, but if he gets drafted high, the expectations are going to be, you know, up here. And especially early on, if he's only got one hand, if he, if he doesn't have it defensively, can't really shoot all that great, like, I could see for the first couple of years it being a little bit rough and people begin to, you know, maybe unfairly make decisions on people early. Like I, I just see his, the big, I don't see him jumping out and having a great next year, which is what we're trying to expect with from a lot of these guys who we envision going at the very top. And I just also struggle to find the fit. Wh- wh- who does he fit next to? I, I think the team that he fits with best now, whether he'll get here or not is, is the thing. I think the Grizzlies is a team that he needs to go to if he's going to have a successful rookie campaign, and this is why. Ideally, Conley's healthy. Conley's the kind of guy who can really control a game, keep the pace where it needs to be, and find you in your right spots. That's number one. Number two, and possibly more importantly, is he won't have to play center all the time, but he'll make for a perfect backup center. Marcus Gasol gets in there for his 30 minutes a game. You can play Bagley beside him because both those guys – while Bagley's shot might be unreliable, both of them have the threat of a three-point shot. Gasol, you know, he can move around, but they both can also go inside and, and, and you know, out-physical some people. So I think that's the fit there. You try to go little Twin Towers kind of thing with those two and always have one of them on the floor at the five. And, you know, I think that's the spot that he fits best. I'm not saying it's a perfect fit, but you got. I think he needs a veteran point guard to help him get into spots. I agree. I yeah. unfortunately, you know, we hear you hear different things like you know Sacramento even uh, being a spot for him. I don't, I don't like. I don't think I really like him going there. Uh, Atlanta, the other team, uh, you know, ahead there. I think I don't think he would be good uh, paired next to John Collins. I don't know. Yeah, John Collins is kind of a similar similar player as uh, as Bagley. Bagley Bagley's the problem. highlight reel kind of guy, like because yeah. John Collins, while having some ups and being a good dunker. He's, I don't know, his arms aren't like disproportionately long or anything, so like it doesn't look as cool, I guess. But both of them are kind of like 6'10, 6'11, not really a yeah. center, not really a powerful. I think that's a bad combination to build your team around. Although, if you think Bagley's good enough, like if you're a team that, you know, has more, like more advanced stats than we have access to and more, more scouts, more eyes on him, if he's a guy you think you can turn into a five and make the, the centerpiece of your franchise, then you don't worry about what his fit with John Collins is. You move John Collins at some point. Yeah, the thing is, that's my worry. Like, I don't want him next to John Collins. And, and you know, yeah, you could trade John Collins, but, like, he's the only, like, valuable piece that you have there. Like, if, if you're the Hawks, you're trying to be rebuilding. I don't think you want to move John Collins this year. And if you're not doing that, then 
like then you're at least having these guys together. I just I just see it as a, a way for having neither one of those guys really flourish in the way that they need to. Um, I and so I definitely don't want to see him in Atlanta. I think I do think Memphis is the best option for him, but still, I he's the one I'm least. I, I just don't. I, I don't. He, he's the last out of the top five bigs um, in in my book. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think Memphis is the spot for him to go to have his best chance. I think if he slips even further, you don't want him in Dallas. You don't want him in Orlando. Our good friend Sergio would love to see him in Chicago, but there's no way he gets to that point. He's not dropping that much. Um, maybe maybe Chicago's a team that can move up. I, I could get down with a bag a Bagley and marketing combo. Me too. That's something that's, that's that's true. me and Sergio but, talked about long ago. But in my mind, that's the level that I think he should go at. That, that, that's just me personally. Okay, I mean that's fair. Um, you know, maybe maybe Memphis is a team that would be down to trade out of that spot with the Chicago, slide down a little bit, maybe um, attacks like a Chandler Parsons, and you know maybe you take back some salary too, like you take back you know maybe their center uh, Robin Lopez, like maybe there's a certain amount of negotiation that can happen that you help both teams because I wouldn't mind that fit with uh, with Martin and Bag because both those guys, um, Martin obviously has the jump shot. Showed more defensive promise than I thought. So maybe the maybe the Bulls are a team that actually developed that. Maybe it wasn't all marketed. Maybe the Bulls developed some of that. So maybe that's where Bagley can have a really good fit. So that's a trade option. But like I'm telling you, like in terms of no trades are happening, I want him in Memphis. I think that's his best chance to succeed. And I know Chris Vernon from the uh, <laughs> from the Ringer would love that to happen. Yes. Yeah. He he hates everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Are we ready to move on to uh, Bagley's teammate, Wendell Carter? Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Well, how about this guy? He um, played center nominally for the uh, the Duke, the Dukies this year, and um, I think when the season started, he was not being looked at as like this surefire NBA prospect. I think he kind of like he was like, oh yeah, he he could come out and he'll be a draft pick, but I don't think he was looked at as hey, he's going to be a lottery pick. And he really changed the minds of a lot of people. And I don't think he does that without that, some help from Al Horford having such a good season this year. Mm. Um, that's his most popular player comp. I yeah. happen to agree with it. I see some other, uh, I see some features that are very much like that. I look at him as such a, a he's going to be a good player because he can, he's got, I, what I see is a very reliable jump shot and even a couple, like he can dribble into a jump shot, something Horford I don't think is all that comfortable with even. My problems are defensively, and I know he's playing next to Bagley, who's a rebounding fiend. But I don't, I don't see him. And I mean, the same problem with <laughs> the same problem with Warford. So maybe this just backs up the comp. You guys go ahead. Well, I like him. Go, oh, go, go, yeah. go, 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 go ahead, Alvin. Go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear why you like him first before I say. Here's, here's the thing. Like for for me, if he first of all, he, he's a much better defender. Uh, than than Marvin Bagley is like I, don't know. I like I think him. They both stink. No, I, I think he's a, I think he's a good enough defender. Uh, I think he has. I think he's better as a as as a rim defender than than Bagley is. Uh, I while he does, may not get you know up a whole lot, I think that he's a positive there. I think he's also able to if if you get switched. He's not going to totally, you know, be out of position. Obviously, if anyone gets pushed on to Steph Curry, it's a problem. But like, I don't think that he's going to necessarily hurt you if he gets switched onto onto a guard. I I, I just enjoy. I think he's a a, a positive on the defensive end. Uh, put put in the right situation, put in the right system with other positive defenders. And I think offensively, he's going to be consistent with, with with what he gives you. He gives you the ability to spread the floor a little bit. He can he can you know pick, pick and roll, pick and pop. Like I, I just I, I like the things that he that he brings, and I think that you're not going to get a bad player here. Like for me, I, I think that he's not going to be someone that busts. Like like I can envision with some of the other guys that uh, with a couple of the other guys here that we'll talk about, but. Like so, I I just I like him I, I have I like him better uh, definitely than um, than Marvin Bagley, like, which you know I don't know I I know a lot of people like Marvin Bagley I just I just think that Wendell Carter's uh, his shooting I think is, is that does it for me. I think I like him, but it's hard for me to put him over Bagley. That's that's the issue I'm having right now. Um, 
when I look at him, I see him as a guy who you're probably going to rely on. Because def- I looked at his, I was checking out his defensive stats, regular stats, advanced stats, and I mean most of it he's ahead of Backley when it comes to defensive stats. Most of them, I'll give you that. And just seeing how he develops the games I got to watch him in Duke, and like you guys said, the curse of college basketball is a lot of teams like starting two centers together. I don't know why. I mean, it took a team like you had to wait to Villanova, who's playing pretty much the NBA offense. It's probably why they keep winning and beating everyone because they're ahead of the game. But it was hard for me to kind of see Wendell Carter's kind of like his, all right, I want to see the entire repertoire. And I think we've seen this with players before. Sometimes players who play alongside another guy who you're more focused on, it's hard for you to see them be more developed. So I am interested to see who's going to have the higher ceiling when they both get to the NBA, whoever drafts them. And I'm trying to think which team would Carter really benefit from drafting. That's what I'm looking at. Cause I do like him as a prospect. I'm trying to think what would be the best place for him to land at, and then who really needs a big guy like Carter that would that where Carter's gonna be able to make that impact on their team. And I saw a few mock drafts. Some of them have him going um, single digits lottery, but most of the time, like right at the end, like ninth or tenth. That's what I've seen him around, like ninth or tenth. Unfortunately, you have like the Knicks, 76ers, and Hornets are the three teams around nine, ten, and eleven. Now, those three teams, I don't even know who I would want him to go on out of those teams. I mean, what did you guys think as far as where do you see him fitting in to develop his ability? Location-wise, I would like (laughs) – this is just purely a a fit with the roster as it um, currently exists. Mm -hmm. But I I really like a fit with Orlando and developing a three-big rotation with him, Isaac, and Aaron Gordon. However, Orlando has not shown any ability to develop players. That'd be so sad. But like, can you can you imagine like if, if Carter's as good of a shooter as he looks like he could be? Mm-hmm. Him and Aaron Gordon at the four and five, like that sounds really like that sounds really appealing. Um, Jonathan Isaac could could even stretch up to the three in those situations just for his defensive prowess and his ability to switch. Um, like, I like that as a fit. It, obviously, Biombo and uh, Vucevic and their exit is um, nigh and hopefully happening soon. But yeah. then that's that's critical for this this process. But Orlando hasn't shown the ability to develop players, so that does make me that does make me hesitant. But if we, I think the consensus among us is he's a guy with a pretty reasonably high floor. Maybe this is the best situation. For so the other guys don't bust, <laughs> right? Like, like, like you know, Wendell Carter, take him for the team because we know you're not going to suck. But you know, just oh. just go ahead and go, man. I whoever goes to Orlando, oh man. Do you agree that that's like the like my whole thought? Like, because I've, I've said this a lot, and I don't know if I guys have ever got got feedback from you on it. Does my idea of a three man big rotation work, assuming at least two of them are three point shooters? Like, t- does that make sense, you guys? I think for me that definitely works. Like when you talk about that, because you want to have a guy who's more of like a like like your typical maybe prototypical big guy, post player or rim protector. But then when you think about in terms of the offense, what type of offense you need in today's NBA, you put yourself in a good position to succeed because you'll still have those big guys to cover the paint, but then you also can spread the floor constantly, which helps you out offensively when you're trying to move the ball around and get into the paint. And you kind of see it. Why the Warriors? I know one reason why the Warriors are so successful is because of what they do. But I even think about the Rockets. When they had P.J. Tucker at the five, and I know it's a smaller, but you had him at the five, and you have everyone on the floor can shoot what that did for the Rockets' offense. Yeah, I like three-man um, big, although I think having a three, three-man three guard rotation is uh, slightly more valuable. Um, just because it's hard to find to, to make sure that you would ensure that two out of your three bigs can shoot. Um, I think that's the hardest, one of the, one of the harder things to find, uh, just because it's, you know, finding bigs that can shoot and also not be total liabilities on defense. That's hard for, for me. As I look at Wendell Carter, uh, I, I also look at Chicago as, as a team where if he were to go to Chicago, that would also be a good fit for him alongside Markinen. Uh, if you do that, then you also have really good shooting from your four and your five. Uh, so I guess Chicago is just where I want someone from Duke to end up. Well, fair enough. I mean, at the end of the day, because for some reason I just keep going back to Bagley. I know Bagley, sometimes I view him as 
He has so much, so many tools, but he's not using them. And who knows? We could be talking about Bagley being the one guy of the draft who came out and just blew everyone away. And it, Go ahead. Ethan. I talked about that with uh, Jake when we did the Celtics podcast. That I feel like because Jason Tatum did not show all the things he developed into this season at Duke, I feel like I really underrated him coming out in the draft process. And that's kind of my concern about like putting pushing Bagley down. I know they're different players; they play different positions. You know, Tatum's a three, you know, versatile scorer, and Bagley is a you know, just a super athletic like four or five right now. I, I'm kind of concerned to do this again because I have already downgraded a Duke prospect that like wasn't a, a consensus number one, wasn't a, all the way up there, and now I'm looking at Bagley like, man, am I missing something? Because so many people like him. And well, I I would rather bump up Wendell Carter because I think that his three point shooting, I don't think that was given enough, uh, you know, look at Duke. And so for for me, I, I would go, I would say yes, I agree. But I did. I would just focus. I would just direct that focus more towards um, Wendell Carter. So how much? How much is the Grayson Allen being a focus of an offense? Jerry Grayson Allen is a perfectly decent player, but like, how much did, does he impact the players he's playing with and like holding them back from showing all their tools? Because I, I look at Jason Taylor and I was like, man, that guy should have the ball in his hands a lot more in Duke. Mm-hmm. But Grayson Allen had it, and you know, that's fine. If you want to do that with your program, Coach K, that, that's up to you. But <laughs> um, man. <laughs> I I I'm just scared. I'm scared to like not look okay. at you guys now. Let me let let me go ahead and and, and push Marvin Bagley down. If if you don't want to, if you don't want that responsibility, responsibility it will still have from the podcast. Cool. I just I yeah. So let's go ahead and move move past the Duke guys. Uh, let's go. Let's move to one of my personal favorites, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, I'm excited about Jaron Jackson. Uh, I actually had the privilege of watching. Um, uh, watching him play up close, one of uh, when I was coaching uh, a couple of years ago uh, at, in Barrier Springs, the Andrews Academy team, we had the opportunity to go play his team and Brian Bowen's team at La Lumiere because of a scheduling conflict, and so we were able to see him torch our team uh, pretty badly, and so that was fun. Wow, I did not. I, I don't think I've ever heard this story. Oh, yeah, it was good. Information. It was good. It was good. I mean, the, the amazing thing about everyone on their team, especially him was how low everyone got defensively. Like that was one of the things when I watched their team was like, man, these guys are like, you know, six, you know, six, uh, six foot six, seven feet. And they're all like just so wide and they closed. It was, it was ridiculous. You remember was, the score? Oh yeah. We got beat like uh, 84 to 20 something. Hey, uh, we did have 20, but at, at some point they like, they said, you know, uh, their point guard, uh, I forget what his name is, um, but he he was he's supposed to go pretty high, like be, be a top prospect, uh, not this upcoming year, but the year after, I think. He got he got injured, and so because one of our guys tried to take a charge, <laughs> and so uh, I think after, at that point they were like, "Well, let's go ahead and uh, put put in, put in the scrubs after 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 that." So it it could have been worse. Once again, playing bad defense, trying to take charges. It's ruining careers out here. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Coach it was better, to watch. better he Richard. He, he, he walked it off. It was fine. He just, you know, he right. put a nice pack on his thigh. I think he took a knee, knee to the thigh and it was it. But anyways, I like Jaron Jackson. As a defensive stud, you know, a rim defender, he's one. He, he's the big guy here, in my opinion. I guess Mobamba's coming up. But I, I really like Jaron Jackson. And Jaron Jackson's proven ability to shoot the three and spread the floor. In my eyes, he's one of those guys who you you know he's not going to be bad. Like I, I like his I I like his floor, and I think that in the modern NBA, if you get him in the right team, man, I think he's going to excel. So he should go to Orlando too. <laughs> uh, perhaps <laughs> honestly, I could see Orlando being like. Because with, with with the new guy in charge, you know, coming over from Milwaukee, they they do want to see length. And mm-hmm. I, if if you put him in Orlando, I do think that he would be good there. Um, I think having him alongside some of those guys that would that could be pretty scary defensively. Well, I think Orlando. I think we talk about Orlando being this place. We know it kills talent, but is there any way they can clear up that front court? Is there no way? I know. I know. I know that Biombo's contract is almost impossible to move. But I feel like Vucevic at this point, you can even try to find a way to move Vucevic. 
because it would be nice to see like Jonathan Isaac develop, Aaron Gordon keep going, and then you have one more young big and see where that goes. Well, in in the thoughts of getting rid of Biombo, like if you move Biombo, it was kind of like what I was talking about when I was talking about Hassan going to the Trailblazers. Biombo for Evan Turner. You give the Portland a better defensive center if they don't want to re- retain Nurkic, and mm-hmm. it's, it's swapping bad contracts. You have a better fit for Biombo there. Like that's a way to potentially move that contract. Uh, Vucevic is a free agent after next season, so he's he's someone teams could look to get rid of, like to, to bring on just to get rid of some expire, like to you know shed some salary and have a cap space the following offseason. Orlando doesn't really need the cap space um, because they're a team that's. In, in too much of a rebuilding process. Not to mention that Aaron Gordon is someone who's going to get paid this offseason. If they choose to retain him, um, they're going to need they're going to need help to make sure they don't get up close to that luxury tax line. Uh, I think what we're getting at though is that Jaron Jackson and Wendell Carter are similar prospects. It's just Jaron Jackson has the defensive stud potential that Carter is lacking. Carter looks like a passable defender. Jaron Jackson's looking like he could be the guy who changes the game. Yes. Yeah. Like perimeter defense for him. I think he's going to be very good at that end and also reproducting. I just think he's who you want. I I look at the, the, the draft order, the the teams there. I don't see one team that he, like, I I think he would be awesome on every single team. I I, I just look there. I don't see a fit that I think would be necessarily bad for him. I mean, maybe Memphis, if Memphis decides not to move on from Marc Gasol, you know, soon, but even still, I think that he would be, I just think, I just like the fit of all the teams that you know him next to uh, John Collins. I think would be good in Atlanta. Him uh, him going to Dallas, being what Nerlens Noel should have been. I think that would be great there. Him in Orlando, I think would be fine. Him in Chicago would be would be good. I think anyone would be good next to Laurie Markkinen. Um, That's what it sounds like anyway, based yeah. on the way this analysis has gone. We all we all are like, hey, he'd be. Great next Maybe right, yeah. that means marketing is really good, not these prospects so much. Yeah, I mean, well, it just because he hasn't, because he was so good at shooting, like we, like we all thought he would be, but he's also wasn't was passable on the defensive end, wasn't a total liability on the boards as well. Like it was, he, he's a he's a good player to, to to put some of these guys next to, and uh, I mean, I don't think Jaron Jackson is going to slide much beyond that. So I, I just think that he's going to be a good fit wherever he goes. Um, and so I'm excited about him. I think Atlanta's the landing spot, though, to be honest. Just Pops. like we, we were talking about Carter getting the Horford comparison. Well, I think Jaron Jackson should deserves that, too. But he might – he might like he has that, you know, just that burst in terms of being able to jump more so than, than Horford. Like, I, I really like him, too, Richard. I I have a hard time defending him in terms of statistics because, like, his stats don't pop off the page until you look at, like, efficiency and his, his percentages. Um, shooting almost eighty percent from the free throw line—that's that's killer. Like, think about think about how good the Rockets could be if like you swap him for Capella. Like, if forget that he can shoot threes, you just can't hack at him. And yeah, how how you, you really could never slow the Rockets' offense down if they just had a guy that could play defense like Capella, but also make the free throws. Man, eighty percent free throw shooting. Yeah, what do you like to see. It's beautiful. So, yeah, again, like him and Wendell Carter both. I think they have really high floors. Um, but but Jackson also brings in a pretty high ceiling. Where where Carter, I, I do like him a lot, but it's, I don't see the uh, the ultra high ceiling for him. I, I think there is a certain cap with his physical limitations. Right, right, right. So how about the well, how about the guy whose physical limitations seem to know no bounds? Oh my <laughs> yes. goodness! The the extra lengthy Mo Bamba broke the record for a combine like dead sprints down the floor, right? Like broke John Wall's speed record there. Yeah. I mean, the guy apparently is a freak athletically like none I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I feel so stupid for ever saying I see Hashim to be, but that was after watching a game. Um, and now I have all these stats to say, Ethan, you're an idiot. Okay. But anyway, point. Yeah, point it's me. okay though. It's okay though. You watched him and you're repenting right now. That's I am. I, I don't, I, I take back the Hashim to be comment I made well early in the college basketball season. Um, but anyway, the guy is boasting about a three point shot. That's improving. The guy has a wingspan and standing reach like Rudy Gobert and much more lateral quickness than one Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is someone who is likely a defensive player of the year, definitely a first-team type of uh, defensive center. What about this Bamba guy? What can he do? 
Um, I think one of the things that you see is I think the foot speed's really going to matter. I don't know. I know. Did he have any numbers for how agile he was moving side to side? But one of the biggest things that matters, I mean, you have a big body and a guy, if he's able to move. And obviously his college stats showed that he can, he knows where to be defensively and get enough blocks. But if his offensive game comes along and even just, he has at least somewhat of a touch. I was worried when I saw him in college, oh, this guy has no touch. But even watching him, his workouts for the draft and what he's been able to do, I'm like, okay, he has some type of game. He even got, I don't know if you guys saw that piece on ESPN where he apparently had been working out with Joel Embiid and got inspired by Joel Embiid's workout from Drew Hamlin. From yeah. His, yeah. And then so now Mo Baba's out here trying to do similar things and you kind of watch the workout and I'm like, oh, he has a resemblance of a jump shot. And I know it's an open gym, but still, if you have a guy who can hit those jump shots open, that means something compared to a guy, if he just chucks them up and breaks them, I'm like, all right, you don't really have much to see. And I think if he keeps bringing that offensive game around, you could have a guy, I mean, he might not be, he might not have the ceiling of the others, but you can see him as a solid starter rotational player. Thing is, he's still skinny. Yeah. Yep. He's still really skinny. Mm-hmm. I think about um guy you mentioned Embiid, who is a guy who his his mechanics for his jump shot aren't perfect, but he's shown some ability to make them. I think about Miles Turner, another Texas product. Mechanics for his jump shot aren't perfect, but he he shoots a decent percentage. And that's where Bamba can maybe find a niche. Somewhere between those two. But unlike those two, those guys are thick, super athletic guys. Bamba, while being super athletic, very, very skinny. He makes me nervous. I I just don't see a world where he bulks up enough without compromising some of the, the things that make him special. Like when you put so much weight on a smaller, like, you know, thinner body, it can be a little scary. So, like, I trust NBA uh, coaches and, um, and player development guys to make sure he doesn't like just throw on 50 pounds and like break his body. But you know, for all that length, if you get like I, the, the match, I, he can't go to Memphis it's, or he can't go to Sacramento. It's not allowed because I want to see Zach Randolph post him up at least once. Uh-huh. Zach Randolph basically washed. I want to see that matchup at least once next season. You can guarantee Ethan will be tuned in for the first Sacramento versus whatever Bomba team is played on. Uh, let's see. I with Mo Bamba, the thing that frustrates me about him, and maybe just just the draft process in general, is these guys. Some of these guys stink at shooting, you know, from the outside during their college careers. They're just not very good. And then they say, "Oh, well, I've been working on my shot with such and such a you know um, shooting coach and whatever." And then you see these videos of them knocking down th- you know, three after three after three in, in some private workout with no one guarding him. And then you begin to talk yourself into, can this guy start shooting some threes? Imagine if it was Rudy Gobert with a three-point shot. And and I just don't like it because it just makes me like – it just frustrates me that I I now have to like – do I have to throw all of his shooting from, from last year – or you know, yeah. what, what do I think Garbage about that? Garbage stats now. The fact that he didn't yeah. shoot 90% from the line is trash. The fact that he shot he shot more, uh, 1.73s a game and shot 27%, that's all trash. He's a great shooter now. 40%, lock him in for the hall, give, get get him ready to go. I mean, no. <laughs> the thing is, Richard, like you're right. You, we need to see this stuff in games because I can tell you, like when I was a better shooter from time to time, like I can make all kinds of shots when no one's guarding me. And like some, it's just a transition. You get adrenaline pumping. You're you're moving around. You don't have time to set your feet perfectly, and it's all about adjustments. And some guys can't always make those. It's real easy when you're such a superior athletic athletic freak and even playing basketball for some time to get in a certain rhythm right in this one spot, just picking balls off the rack or catching them from a guy passing yeah. to you. It's completely different when you're. Um, you know, setting a screen on your, your point guard and then fading to the perfect spot. And, oh, they, they saw it. They, they're rushing out to you now. And now you have to rush it or you need to be able to pump and actually make a move. And does he have all those adjustments that he can throw into his game? It's a lot to do, I mean, man. Because, I mean, and that's where I, you guys are at. Because I'm sure the majority of NBA players, it's their job. I'm sure a lot of them, if you give them a gym, no one there at basketball, they'll probably put up a lot more shots than any of us can make. And they'll do work. But the best shooters are the ones who, those like Ethan said, like those little adjustments. 
they almost have that muscle memory where they know it's like I have to have this much space and maybe an inch because the space I need. Because you see guys like a JJ Redick. I mean, I don't know we're talking about elite shooters, even like a JJ, but even like a Bellinelli, like these guys are good shooters. They move, but even guys like LeBron, who doesn't have the highest percentage from three, even he's mastered shots like that little that little two-step fadeaway three almost. He mastered that shot. And it's I know it's more experience, but you do have to see it where as a guy in your face and you're gonna have to change it up. But I think it's interesting he's working on it. And if he can get it, it'll be great. But sometimes the double-edged sword where I see a big guy just focusing only on that. Like that worries me sometimes when you're like, oh, I only want to be a, a three-point shooting big man. Sometimes I worry about Carl Anthony Towns that he's so worried about a three-point shot that he forgot any resemblance of a post game. Like that's what I think of sometimes too. Or even you, 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 all you do is practice threes. You, you, you walk on the court for your first NBA game and you go 0 for 5. And all that work, all that stuff, like it's it, you're a rookie anyway, and you're trying to build confidence. And the one yeah. thing you've been boasting is what doesn't work out for you. Like that can that can be a confidence killer. Like think about the th- some of the things Anthony Bennett's tapes were posting, like wh- what we oh. thought about him. And I don't think Bamba's like Bamba's just not the same type of player of Anthony Bennett. He's so much more talented in in many uh, many ways. But like Anthony Bennett was always oh, look at all the physical stuff he's done. Look, he's, he's a capable shooter. Didn't he miss like 29 straight shots to start his career yeah. or something like that? Like it was, mm-hmm. it's real easy to be someone that's getting a little overhyped and then just come out and do something. And then it's not even about your skills. It's about how you adapt to NBA life. As I, the biggest, one of the biggest things that worries me a little bit about Bamba is, okay, hopefully you can shoot that. That's fine. But if he can't, like he's not the best screener because of his slender frame. And if you can't be, if you can't set, set a pick and do a pick and roll, cause for him lobs at the rim are going to be where he can feast. But if you can't set the screen that you need to, to be able to initiate that, then you become to, you begin not to be as effective on the offensive end. And I think that's where that that's, one of the issues that we're worrying about. I think defensively, I think he'll be okay. His length yeah. is, is is there, and uh, I think he's um, he's quick enough that he he won't he can cover lots of ground. But I don't know. I, I just <sighs> I do. I, he for me has maybe the highest bust potential. Would you say? Like Ooh, we're getting back to my Hashim to beat territory. Let's like, go. Yeah, we are like, back. <laughs> I mean, he's he's probably the one where I'm. I don't know. I I, I could see some issues with him. I, got, I don't know. I got you here, Richard. I okay, take it away. With these five guys, he's the one I like the least. You might have Bagley reserved for your specific list. But this is what I'm thinking. I look at DeAndre Aiden. I like Jaron Jackson second most. Wendell Carter and Bagley, I kind of I kind of flip up on. I think I'd go Bagley over Carter just for the upside potential. But then, like, when I look at Bamba and I'm like, man, if he doesn't develop a shot and he's that slender build, he, like, he can't really take a beating from some of these guys that are, are in the NBA, I kind of would rather just take the floor of Wendell Carter and give me my 40% shooter that I think is going to translate well. Um I like Bamba. He's going to be a great defender. But, like, what if he's Epe Udu and, and doesn't have a shot and he's not a good enough, like, finisher around the rim because he's not as strong as Rudy Gobert? Um, what if you have that guy who falls out of the league and has to come back in, in five years instead of a Gobert who, you know, like, for the record, Gobert had no pressure on him to succeed. He's a 27th overall draft pick. True. Like, I, I have some fears for Bamba. I really do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for me, he he's he's in that four range for me. Like Bagley, I have his I have his five, but I could see a world where where um, he busted Bagley's just you know he's he's there, he's serviceable, he's doing what he needs to. I he, he just scares me a little bit. If I'm a GM, I, this is this is the pick that I, I I I select it and I say that I'm thrilled. I got the person I want. It's the <laughs> next big thing. But in the back of my mind, I'm nervous and. I'm really hoping that my coach and the training staff can develop him the way that he needs to be developed. So I don't know how much more. Do you have anything else on Bamba? Because I kind of, I kind of do want to go to the five-man weave kind of comparison, like how how we feel about all of them combined. Because I have one more thing about Marvin Bagley I want to bring up. Go ahead. I'm good. Go ahead. 
Okay, so the last my last thought about this, like we, I went through actually real quick. Elkin, do your top your your five man rankings of these guys. I want to hear that. Um. Oh man, let me see if you guys are gonna like it. I'll probably go. I don't care if I like it, Elkin. I want your honest opinion. Let's go. I still want to go. I'll go eight. DeAndre Ayton first. Then I will go Jackson Jr., Bagley, Carter, and Bamba. Okay, so he copied my list. Fine. I, of course I like that. <laughs> All right, Richard, and you, you already said yours, right? You were, uh, you were Aiton, Jackson, Carter, and then eight, Bamba and Bagley, right? Yeah, but Aiton and Jackson for me is closer than I think people would want to and okay. than other people would like. Right. I like, yeah, I, I just – for me, there the concerns about uh, Aiton's defensive – potential like if he doesn't reach that and jackson reaches his like because jackson can also shoot very well like though those things are really tantalizing to me so like there's like i i i probably shouldn't but I, there, there's a part of me that wants to put jackson above Aiton, even though oh. like I'll, i'm just going to keep Aiton there because he's the he's going to be the consensus number one pick and but for me that's closer like i, I want to say that it's like 1a 1b for uh for Aiton and Jackson. Okay. So this is the last point I want to get to, and we can go from there after the fact. Would you guys agree with me that if Chris Bosch were a healthy player, like didn't have the blood clot problems, he's basically the ideal big for any team in the entire league? I mean, you have you have real – you could have a good compelling case because you have a guy who stretches the floor, plays defense. One of the most underrated parts of his run in Miami was – how good his defense was that let them play battier at the four, essentially. And then besides that, he has a post game as well. He has mid range. He has a good body. Like he's not too skinny. He's not too big. I'll say he's your prototypical. If you were to put a big guy out there, who's like six you're probably looking at pretty prototypical center right there. Power forward. Thoughts, Richard, if, if you could just, if you could say, Hey, we're going to get a big guy to having a franchise that fit just checks all the boxes. Is Bosch not kind of what that was supposed to be? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, it's, it's like, you know, maybe you could think up someone else, but uh, if I, if someone else says that, I have no qualms with it. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. I get it. Look, I get it. I, I hear that there's, there's alternatives, right? Like, you can go get yourself, you know, an Anthony Davis, obviously. Like, yeah. that's obviously better. Like, but that's – the outlier. I think I feel like Chris Bosch is an e- easier and more repeatable type of player just because of there's no just he doesn't he never jumped out of the gym. His mm-hmm. lateral quickness was there, but it wasn't like he was like and this is, this is a heat reference, but like I saw Bam Abadio guard Stephen Curry and Stephen Curry couldn't shake him. This is before he hurt himself this year. He doesn't have that kind of lateral quickness, but he's also Chris Bosch is also taller than Bam. I look at Chris Bosch and like I'm like, if I am a drafty, this is the kind of guy I want to find. And the two guys I think that depend on how they develop, there's actually three of them. There's three of them because I, I do want to include Aiton. But Jaron Jackson is the closest guy in this yeah. class to Chris Bosch. Yes. And if you had to go number two, it would be Aiton. And then the outside chance, if Bagley can improve defensive awareness, because remember, I talked about this earlier, Ben Simmons was not a good defender in college. Jason Tatum was not a good defender in college. He became passable. Those three guys, more than Carter and Bamba, have a chance to be Chris Bosch-type players. If I'm a GM in the NBA, that's the kind of player I want. If you can tell me I can get a five that can play be, be like Chris Bosch and give me a, a career of 19 points per game and eight and a half rebounds by the end of it, with peaks looking like 24 points per game and 10 like, and then 11 rebounds, that's the player I want on my team. And I know I'm a Miami Heat fan, so I'm a little biased, but he was not the statistical Bosch that he was in yeah. Toronto. I'm telling you, if you want a big guy, you want a Chris Bosch light, and that's what I'm saying, Richard. Your Jaron Jackson take just might be right. Here so we go. Here, here's, here, here's, here's, here's my thought. If I'm the Suns, if I'm the Suns and I want to get a big here, why don't I pull the Boston Celtics and and trade down. down? Let someone else like Aiton get get more assets, and then pick Jaron Jackson. Like, if 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 I had the number one pick, that'd be what I'd be looking to do. That that would be what I would like to do if if, if that was me. That's you know what that might be the smartest thing they could do, because like like I mentioned I don't know if I mentioned this before the recording or after 
like a Trey Young would be kind of scary next to a Devin Booker in terms of just the pure shooting you'd have out there. Um, you know, I kind of think Atlanta might look at him because they have a Travis Slank guy who uh, used to work with the Warriors. Trey Young got Curry comps. Not saying he's going to be Curry, but there's mm-hmm. there's like some like you know funness that's going to be natural there. Man, but I'm telling you, like I, I thought about that while we were recording. I was like, Chris Bosh is the guy I want all these guys to be like, and yeah, it's just a shame he's not in the league anymore. But ugh. so so here, here's here's what you do if you're the Suns, you know, trade back with the Hawks, get uh get allow the Hawks to get DeAndre Ayton. You get the, their other two picks in the first round, and then if you're Phoenix, you have 16, you have 19, you have 30, and 31. You package all two of those, or maybe uh, all three know, of them. If you all, sorry, sorry, all three of them, uh, or I, guess, I guess they would have four. They'd have four of the top outside of their their pick at number three. They would have uh, 16, 19, 30, and 31. You know, take two of those, three of those, even four if you need to to move up. Uh, and maybe get yeah get get, get that Trey Young, um, or yes, you know, I think that you you'd be able. Player you're focused on, you know. Yeah, you you, you, you find the team who just is like we want as many opportunities as possible. But like that would be the move. Your Phoenix, if you want to say, you know what, we want to make sure that we we are able to not just fix one spot, but we can fix multiple spots. I like it. Hmm. And then trade for Kevin Love, and then when he by the time. Then, and then yep. by the time his uh, deal expires, you have your young team ready to go. Kevin Love's just a, a holdover, some, some a reliable vet. The Suns are the team of the future. <laughs> about it. <laughs> Out here making a campaign. We're going to get T-shirts, Jaron Jackson. T-shirts going to the Suns. Got a Jaron Jackson, Devin Booker. Oh, my goodness. How about it? How yeah. about it? <laughs> Uh, like I said, like he's one of those guys. He's he's, he's kind of under the radar because his stats don't pop, but all all the things he does are just they're nice. They're all nice. Maybe we, oh, this yeah. could be the type of draft. Though. I mean, that we just have these type of players that it's going to be hard to see until we wait a couple of years as far as who really came out of the pack. Because these five guys, if we really look at them, they're not complete just pushovers. And for me, they're not really horrible. They're all good prospects. If we really go down, even with Mo Bamba, I think the one that we're kind of like. He might be the shakiest or even Bagley. If we go down there, they all have potential to at least be a quality pick. And and like with all drafts, I mean, I know we don't, with all drafts, you can't judge someone after literally a year. But it's still it's interesting to see, or it's interesting to who comes out of this group of five big men. And being well, like, we'll tell you. I will tell you. People will judge these guys after a year. I mean, you can just see it with Marco Fultz. You can see it with Lonzo Ball and the stuff he got earlier on. And so uh, – and – you wonder what that what that can do to a player, and so they got to have the mental toughness to even say, you know what? Because a lot of these guys are going to go to bad teams, and they're going to be yep. not very good. I mean, so you got to be you got to be able to handle that, even when people are jump to those conclusions. So I guess we'll have to, we'll have to see how it goes. I'm excited about it though, uh, and so so real quick, like if we got our dream, then it would be something like Phoenix trades down to three, right? So mm-hmm. um, Atlanta ends up with Aiton. Sacramento. Well, Sacramento could end up with Aiden. Oh no, sorry, Atlanta. Sorry, Atlanta jumps up. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, Atlanta jumps up, and Sacramento and Phoenix, or uh, Sacramento and Atlanta go Doncic or Aiden, Jackson to to Phoenix at in the three spot now, and then Bagley to Memphis. Like, is that does that solidify all of our wants and desires? Bagley to Memphis. Uh, maybe Dallas goes with um, Mo Bamba, uh, Orlando. Do you remember when we said we weren't going to do a mock draft? <laughs> yeah, I know. This is just kind of our, our hopes and desires and all, the, all that stuff. And, yeah. Actually, I'd like to see Michael. Maybe, maybe, maybe Orlando goes Michael Porter Jr. I was hoping that Dallas would go Michael Porter Jr. Just, they, could, they could. I want them to have the, the big swing, you know, of the, of the thing. Fair enough. Anyway, don't okay. matter. As, as, long, as long as the Bulls get one of these big guys. I don't want yeah, them to I, get Michael Porter.
All right. Thanks for Richard. Thanks, Elgin. We always appreciate it. Don't have a hero ball moment of the week because these kids haven't had the chance to. Oh, we got we got to promo our live pod. Okay, me and Richard, July uh, June twenty first. We're gonna be doing a live pod during the draft. Me and Richard are both. Richard gonna be coming up here to Portland. We're gonna we're gonna hook up and we're gonna get here and uh, go through every pick and hopefully we can have Elkin chime in from time to time on certain selections. Want to make sure we promo that. So if anyone hears this pod, you can go ahead and clear your calendar because we're gonna be live through our YouTube channel on June 21st for a live draft pod. And with that, goodbye.